0: This is the Daily Lectionary Comments for August the 16th. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, in which, in kind of a stutter step, and with some tragedy, the ark is finally brought to Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul develops the idea that from time to time, Christians need to be willing to set aside their rights for the sake of the gospel. 2 Samuel chapter 6. This, David has built a palace... He has been consolidating power uh, over a united Israel. He has defeated the Philistines in battle on a couple of uh, of occasions, and uh, things are beginning to settle down. And David realizes that it is time that the Ark should stop uh, basically existing in various places in the land of Israel, but should be brought to the city of David, which is now the capital of a United um, uh, Israel. That's the appropriate place for it. In Deuteronomy, uh, Moses talks about God uh, uh, selecting the location on, on where his name will be placed. And uh, Jerusalem, it turns out, is the place that God selects for his name to dwell. In other words, for the ark to come to rest, for the temple to be built, and, and for God to sort of take up residence in the midst of his people, much like the tabernacle. Um, he, he took up residence in the tabernacle in the midst of, of the Israelites and camped around it uh, in the wilderness. Now he will camp as it will uh, in Jerusalem, in the midst of the cities of Judah and Israel. Uh, and this is the place where finally the Ark is gonna come to rest. But it doesn't happen easily. The, uh, it's kind of a stutter step. The ark is originally to be brought into uh, Jerusalem, but tragedy strikes when Uzzah reaches out and touches the ark and is struck dead. This causes David to become afraid. He doesn't want the the ark uh, anywhere near him then. This is interesting because it, it shows David's own self-awareness. I mean, basically what he's saying is, if even a priest can be struck dead near this thing, how can I possibly have it near me? I mean, I—he he is aware of his own lack of of holiness, his his uh, his sinfulness, and it—he is immediately made aware that it, it just—he can't possibly have this thing near him. He becomes afraid, so the ark is not immediately brought into Jerusalem after all. It's sent to a, another location, to the house of Obed-Edom, and there it stays for three months and. In three months' time, it becomes apparent to everybody that the house of Odom-Edom is being greatly blessed by the presence of, of, uh, of this ark. So David changes his mind and wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem after all. Now, if you want to be cynical, you can say, ah, David wants the blessings for himself, but that's actually not what's going on here. He simply is made aware that the severity of the Lord's punishment on Uzzah is not the whole story here. And although David may rightfully say, look, I'm not worthy to have that thing near me, on the other hand, it is right for him to say, yes, but it is good that the ark of the Lord be brought to Jerusalem. So um, David develops a fuller appreciation, uh, not just of the wrath of God, but also of the blessings of being near him. Now, let's talk a minute about uh, portal Uzzah. This is something that makes a lot of Christians very nervous. Uh, and and they wonder about God being very capricious. He seems capricious. Uh, and a slight thing, Uzzah just reaches out in order to keep the ark from falling off a cart, and for that God strikes him dead. Well, okay. Well, understand first that that Uzzah was a priest, and he knew well what the regulations were and how that cart or how that uh, ark was to be transported. And the first thing to say is the ark was to be transported by Levites who carried it on poles that were inserted through rings. It was designed for that purpose, and that is specifically how the law of Moses uh, uh, regulated the movement of the ark. It was to be carried by Levites, not put on a cart. The The only other time we see the ark on a cart is when the Philistines put it on a cart uh, after it, it, it ravaged the land with boils, you know, they put it on a cart and sent it back to Israel. That That's the only instance where we see the ark on a cart. Secondly, it is forbidden that a priest should touch the ark. You might say, well, I mean, he's just trying to keep further disaster from happening. And the answer is, maybe so. However, when we are dealing with the presence of God we are dealing with the holiness of God, and the greatest care must always be taken. Look, we don't need to assume that Uzzah went to hell. He was going to die sooner or later. God is going to kill all of us sooner or later. God chose to make Uzzah's death an example. This is how not to play fast and loose with the holy things of God, even if you mean well in doing it. So Uzzah got to be an object lesson for us all. Here's the the thing. Just because God does not normally strike us dead when we profane holy things, just because typically, if somebody goes up to the altar and receives the body and blood of the Lord in an unworthy fashion, they do not, right then and there, get sick and die, as some have, we shouldn't take from that that God doesn't really care. Just because if I utter blasphemy, the ground does not immediately open up and I fall into it, we should not take from that the fact that God is typically merciful and doesn't treat us the way we deserve. We should not take from that that it doesn't matter. Rather, we should take from a passage like this that no, it really does matter and he really does care. And if I do something to profane the, the holiness of God, either on purpose or by accident, I should recognize that this is a thing that displeases the Lord. And if nothing bad happens to me, I should take that as a sign of his mercy, not uh, a sign that he didn't really care and this business in the scripture is, is uh, just a, a, a strange event from long ago. So um, David learns this lesson and when the ark is finally brought into Jerusalem, it is clear that it is being born at that time. It, look at verse 13, is no longer on a cart, It is being born by Levites who are carrying it in as they were supposed to. So they learn their lesson. Final quick thing, David, uh, in the eyes of his wife, Michael, really debases himself. He doesn't act in a very kingly and refined way. He's dancing and rejoicing. Uh, and, uh, she looks down on him for that. This is not how a king does. But, and, and so we're told that this was the case. What we're not told in our reading because we skipped the next uh, paragraph is that um, David fairly rebukes her for this. She, she gets after him when he finally comes home and says, you shouldn't be acting like that as a king. He rebukes her for this and, and says, I will debase myself this much and much more before the Lord. And David is very proud in, in a good sense uh, of, of having demonstrated um, his true loyalty before the Lord in such joy, uh, rather than being concerned about his decorum and his office. Okay, so enough of, of the Ark being moved into Jerusalem. Tomorrow's uh, lesson uh, will be a very important one uh, where we move the next step in, in God's plan to make David and his descendants central to God's plan. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I don't have a lot of time for this because I spent a lot of time on 2 Samuel chapter 6, but essentially this is this is what is going on here. Paul has just finished his argument regarding food sacrifice to idols by saying that if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, then I will never eat meat again, even though I have a right to eat meat. Now, in chapter 9, what he's going to do is advance this argument uh, in, uh, a little bit further, by simply talking about we Christians, or in his case, an apostle, has certain rights and prerogatives that belong to them. And yet, and yet, it may very well be that we need to lay those rights and prerogatives aside for the sake of the gospel. The example that he uses here is the fact that Paul worked for a living to support himself. But he makes a long and extended argument that for all kinds of reasons, he doesn't have to do that. The, actually, the Corinthian church owes him a living. Owes him a living just by normal custom that people, you know, when they work for you, you 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 provide for them. And he talks about how they are his workmanship and his work for them. But also, even in the law of Moses, um, you know, it is commanded that that priests make their living off the offerings given at the temple. He says that the Lord himself commanded that those who preach the gospel should make their living by the gospel. And and so in all these instances, I mean, he even talks about not muzzling an ox while he tramples out the grain and applying that metaphorically to any kind of laborer. A laborer deserves his wages. What he's saying here is, look, I don't have to uh, work. I, I could presume and and require you corinthians or whatever congregation i'm working for to provide for me i have that right i don't because i want to provide the gospel to you for free and i can i am able to take care of myself and i am going to take care of myself so that i am not a burden to you but that that is something that i do voluntarily i set that right aside even though it belongs to me according to the law of the Lord, and simple common sense. I'm going to set that aside for the sake of the gospel. So he, he's, he's using his own ex- self as an example of what all Christians should be ready to do. Just because you have a right to something does not mean that you should necessarily avail yourself of that right. It may not be good for the gospel. It may not be good for the church. It may not be good for your weaker brother. Frankly, it may not be good for you. And so we need to think about those bigger things rather than simply what we're entitled to.